Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's show is none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Matt Wiley. So Matt, first things first, mates, congratulations on finishing university. That's absolutely wonderful, mate. Really, really fantastic and obviously Really proud of you, mate. Fantastic achievement, say the least. And of course, we've got an excellent, excellent show to get stuck into today. So I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, you've summed it up pretty well there, mate. Yeah, um, Friday was our very last lecture and now we're off out into the big wide world. So not sure. It's, it's, everybody said it was a bit underwhelming. And I was thinking I was ready for it to be underwhelming. and then, But not quite as underwhelming as it has been it's literally photo with the photo in the tv studio we've got at uni uh out for a beer with the lecturers and then that was it it's basically right off you go go get a job so um we'll, we'll see what the future holds but for now yeah been uh, uh certainly a weekend that i'll remember for a while that's for sure yeah um and why not talk about a load of cricket at, at the end of it Oh, exactly, Matt. And to be honest, the sixth round is the bumper round, isn't it? All 18 counties in action over the course of these last four days. What a round to come and review, as we shall discuss in today's episode, because the sixth round certainly didn't disappoint for a number of reasons. And Matt, what better place to start then when it comes to today's review show than in the nation's capital? Let's head to South London, where Surrey beat Middlesex by nine wickets at the Kia Oval. Now, before we get into the game itself, and it was an excellent game of cricket, something which you have to just touch upon beforehand is the wonderful cap presentation, which took place between the two sides before a ball was even bowled on the first day. Now, for those who don't know the background and the context behind this, these were special caps for Dravet Syndrome UK, which is a fantastic charity. It's a very, very unknown syndrome, actually. It's a form of epilepsy. And Matt Dunn, the Surrey scene bowler, Unfortunately, lost his daughter to this syndrome back in March. Florence, she was just two years old. So in the past month or so, they've been doing fundraisers. There's this fantastic initiative. It's 5K for May for Dravet. That is what it's called. And Matt Durney's family and a bunch of people have got involved in this fantastic fundraiser. And as of this recording, that fundraiser has raised £25,000 for that charity. So first and foremost, congratulations to every single person who's taken part in that because it's absolutely great to see the fact that the cricket community has come together in this dark time a time of tragedy and immense sadness it's heartwarming to see so to Surrey and to Middlesex I have to take my cap off it was a great initiative it was a fantastic thing to see the two sides lined up in that photo and honestly they are doing fantastic work so before we get into today's show, which will, of course, focus around the crickets, I thought that deserved a huge mention, a massive shout out to that charity. And we will, of course, be leaving the link to the GoFundMe fundraiser in the podcast description below. So if you can give absolutely anything to that, please feel free to do so in due course. But aside from that incredibly touching and heartwarming start to the game, the game itself was fantastic. It was a great advert for the county championship. Now, in terms of the game itself, Surrey won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this Clash of the Titans, the London Derby, the first one of the 2023 season. And to be honest, 
in the early exchanges, it looked to have backfired rather spectacularly as Sam Robson and Peter Milan put on an outstanding 152-run partnership for the second wicket to take Middlesex up to a seemingly commanding score of 166 for one within just 45 overs. However, as is the case in this sport, one wicket brings two, and unfortunately for Middlesex, as soon as Robson was sent back to the pavilion by Atkinson, it was a procession at the Oval this week as the Saxes collapsed from 166 for two to 209 all outs by the end of their first innings. And Matt, before we get on to Surrey's performance in this game and we discuss the rest of proceedings in South London this week, we've got to talk about Dan Worrell. What did you make of that spell? Because I've got to be honest, I was watching that edge baston up in the media centre. There was no player edge baston at this particular point in the day's play. But that spell of bowling was quite exceptional, wasn't it? Ended with figures of 5 for 48. Just how integral of a role does Dan Worrell play in the wider success of this Surrey seam attack? Yeah, a huge amount. I mean, it was that sort of just after two, wasn't it, where they could barely lay a bat on it. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's not a... Surrey obviously get a lot of criticism, don't they, for the sort of money bags and the fact that they sign, you know, absolute world beaters. But Dan Wall's not one of those. He, he is an overseas, he is an Aussie, of course, but he's not a, a Josh Hazelwood or a Pat Cummins or a, a true world giant at the moment, is he? But he's still just, yeah, slotted in brilliantly. Um, he's got that quite sort of busy action. He, he runs in full pelt, doesn't he? And just, yeah, um, he's you can't really say much else than he's unplayable at times. And that's, that's what you need, isn't it? You need a bowler that can just rip through a middle order like that and swing a game because it did at one point look as though Middlesex were going to go on and post something really massive and then they, they didn't ultimately. It's uh, Nobody outside of the top four really contributed with anything, did they? So, yeah, they, he swung the game in their favour and that was a um, pretty crucial moment. Well, it certainly was. And again, we could be looking back at the end of the season, looking at a spell like that and thinking, maybe this is where Surrey potentially laid the foundation for winning the county championship yet again over the course of this season. So Dan Worrell, fantastic performance. I also have to mention Gus Atkinson yet again, Matt, three for 18. And I thought, again, his spell changed proceedings. Got good pace, good discipline, good accuracy. And he's bowling really well at the moment. So Gus Atkinson as well, he might not be the first name that we think of in that Surrey attack, given the likes of a Kemar Roach and a Dan Worrell or a Jamie Overton once he comes back. But the fact that he is able to produce performances like last week, and of course this three for this week, really promising signs for an incredibly promising cricketer. But aside from that first innings, a disappointing first innings for Middlesex, Surrey then came out to bat with a lot of intent. In fact, they scored 380 from just 99.4 overs in their first innings, with Rory Burns scoring a fantastic 88 from 105 deliveries, also consequently bringing up 10,000 first-class runs in the process. So congratulations to the Surrey captain for bringing up that excellent milestone. But the man of the moment yet again, Matt, was a man by the name of Jamie Smith. Now, it seems as though we're mentioning Jamie Smith every single week. We mentioned him last week, we mentioned him in the Warwickshire game, the versatility of this guy's game is unbelievable for such a young cricketer. 97 from 187 deliveries. And just to remind people out there, 
He's 22 years old. Jamie Smith is 22, right? And he's already producing these masterclasses in first-class crickets. In terms of his ceiling, Matts, where do you see Jamie Smith in the next few years? Because he's already in the England Lions team. He's already been an integral part of this Surrey team in the county championship. But surely at some point, he's got the three lines of England written all over him, hasn't he? Yeah, you'd have to say so, wouldn't you? Um, it's like that, that Surrey Academy just constantly producing abs- absolute brilliance. Um, yeah, I mean, you said it you said it yourself, mate, the versatility that he's got, the level of just able to adapt to the match situation, score pretty much whatever rate anybody needs him to, and that is so crucial. And I would say has never been more crucial than when you look at what we're trying to do at the moment in the in the test team with bad ball, where you just you, it's, it's not obviously as they've always said it's not reckless, but it's just aggressive and just play your natural game and clean striking. And he's 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 classy player. He, he looks like he's one of those that where you'd say makes it look easy, isn't he? It's like obviously you know having held it back myself, as I'm sure many many listeners have as well it's not it's not easy you know you, you watch the pro and then you do it yourself and you think how do they do it like that but he really just makes it look incredibly easy um just smooth free-flowing and it was a shame really that it just i mean yeah it's a good stumping wasn't it but it was a shame that he couldn't just quite add those final few for three figures it is a shame, but at the same time, Matt, a fantastic innings. It really was. It was a showstopper, wasn't it, from Jamie Smith on the Sky Sports cameras. Great way to announce himself to that wider audience. And in terms of his performances so far this year, 304 runs, averaging 50.66. So Jamie Smith, again, in terms of just talent, sheer talent, which is coming through that Surrey Academy system, he's yet another one to add to an extremely long list. But... Aside from that very impressive batting display from the defending champions, this meant that Middlesex had quite the task on their hands heading into their second innings. In fact, they had a 171-run deficit to take with them into their second innings. And in fairness to them, they did show a bit of fight, a bit of resolve. The likes of Max Holden, he scored 43. Ryan Higgins scored 42. But in the end, on that surface at the Oval, which, as we know, is rather batting-friendly, 240 runs was simply never going to be enough. The likes of Jordan Clark, he took four for 25. Sean Abbott taking three for 31. And the aforementioned Gus Atkinson taking two for 37 ultimately gave Surrey a paltry target of just 70 runs to chase down in their second innings, which unsurprisingly for a team of of their calibre and quality was chased down for the loss of just one wicket within 16.4 overs. So, For Surrey, yet another statement victory, because this Middlesex side at one point looked as though they could have easily put on 350, 400 runs, as we discussed. But that innings, that spell from from Dan Worrell, which was just beautifully, beautifully supported by Gus Atkinson, ultimately changed this game and flipped it completely on its head. So this Surrey team, I've got to say, I do owe them a little bit of an apology. I may have underestimated them. They do look incredibly strong. I did say they would have finished second, actually, in this year's county championship. But, yeah, for all intents and purposes, they are looking like the the out-and-out favourites so far. They look incredibly strong. And, to be honest, there aren't many teams who look as though they can stop this Surrey juggernaut at the moment. But, aside from the brilliance of the Brown Caps, Matt, just a few words on the Saxes. 
of Middlesex. Are you a bit worried about their batting? Because we mentioned this in the preview show, didn't we? And if we look at their batting so far this season, the batting bonus points haven't been a, a massive struggle for them in recent years, in particular last year in Division 2. But so far this season, they've just scored one batting point. They've not even scored 300 runs in the county championship in any innings this summer. So does the batting concern you ever so slightly with this Saxes outfit? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, obviously I've spoken in the past about blips and teams that just need to put bad innings behind them and, and move on. But this is, when it gets to this point in the season, and like you said, they've still not got to 300, this is the point at which you're starting to think, OK, this is a real concern and this is something that we need to look at. So obviously you've got the caveat of the fact that Middlesex have only just come up and no one's expecting them to do anything magnificent. You know, it's a really, really impressive feat to come up and then compete right at the top. But yeah, it's it's something that definitely needs addressing uh, because yes, this this story attack's brilliant and Dan Worrell leads it in that way and, and he's, he's superb. But you know, it's, it's the way that they were shot out like that, isn't it? It's the way that you just see a run of single figures pretty much from number five downwards. Yeah, that, that's something that you need to be concerned about in my book. It's not, obviously, it, it's a listed ship at the moment. It's not being completely capitalised. There's still time to turn it around. But it's something that they're going to need to work on. Um, I think especially maybe you can, we'll see, obviously, when you've got the blast break coming up, you can sort of, it's, it's a time enough to, to be able to reset for those that do specialise more in the red ball stuff, but it's definitely going to have to be something that they're going to look at. It certainly is, Matt, because one batting bonus point, it's not good enough from five games. It really isn't. If you want to stay up in this division, a tremendously competitive division at that, they've got to start getting these big scores because the bowling attack's good enough with the likes of Toby Rollins-Jones, the likes of Tim Murta, Ethan Bamber, to name but a few, they've got the offensive weaponry to stay up in this division and really mount a mid-table charge, but the batting unit has got to come to the forefront. So, yeah, a little bit worried for the Saxes, I've got to be honest, but fingers crossed that the batting units can come back stronger heading into the seventh rounds of the county championship in this upcoming week. But aside from that London derby then, between Surrey and Middlesex in South London, Matt, let's head to my city of Birmingham where Warwickshire beat Essex by four wickets at Edgbaston Cricket Ground. Now, Warwickshire won the toss and opted to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which honestly paid off quite spectacularly in the second city this week, as the scintillating Bears seam attack spearheaded by the likes of Oliver Hannon-Dorby and Christopher Rushworth bowled out Essex for just 126 runs within 41.3 first innings overs and Matt's before we talk about Warwickshire's batting and an incredibly entertaining last-wicket partnership between Hassan Ali and Oliver Hannon-Dorby, we've got to talk about the Bears' same attack because we mentioned it in the preview show. On paper, it looked good, but it's one thing to look good on paper. It's another thing to put it into practice and put it into these game-day situations. This is a big question, Matt, but looking at this Bears' same attack so far, are they the strongest units in Division 1? Yes or no? That is a big question. Mm-hmm. No. But it's a very close second to Surrey. I think they, obviously, I've mentioned that, you know, they, they complement each other very well. 
a very good unit. But I do wonder about the, the depth of the thing. Surrey's depth is, you know, they, they've got this massive sort of battery to be able to pick from. Is there much sort of below the surface of the main, this, this sort of main quartet that you've got at, at Warwickshire? I think that's the main thing that you have to take into consideration. Both at full strength, you'd probably be struggling to pick between them. I think for me, you have to look at who can come in, who can, you know, if what if a Hannon Dolby, a Rushworth was to get injured, a Hassan Ali was to get picked by Pakistan or was to have to go back for whatever reason, is there the ability to for somebody to step in of, of equal ability? And that's the main thing that I think you have to take into consideration. So at full strength, there's not a lot between them. The wider picture, I think, sorry, just edge it, but I do mean pure. That's a fair comment. To be honest, Surrey as well have also taken 15 bowling points from that their games the most, this season. So That is the most derisive, that's a fair comment I've ever heard out of you. <laughs> yeah, because you've not watched them live. And I will just well, give I'll just give my, my two cents on this. I've got to be honest, I've not seen a Warwickshire team attack like this since 2012, when the likes of Chris Wright and Keith Barker wrote in the bowling. Honestly, <laughs> it's fantastic to watch. Whether or not they are the best, because that Surrey team attack are ridiculous, and I completely agree. I think Surrey do have the better depth. But if they can stay fully fit, I think this Warwickshire team attack can can really make a charge for the title. I really do. I've watched them now for five games, and they're just irrepressible. It's every single over. It's relentless. And to be honest, Essex just could not hack it this week, and I don't even blame them, because in those conditions, it was overclassed, it was dark, it was cloudy, little bit of assistance from the surface. It was a nightmare to bat on. And to be honest, those Warwickshire seams extracted every little bit of assistance that they could in those conditions. So, yeah, it's, it's up for debates. Again, for any of the listeners out there, please do let us know your thoughts. Do the Bears have the best seam attack in Division 1 so far this season? They do currently have the leading wicket-taker in Division 1 with a man by the name of Chris Rushworth, who's taken 30 wickets at 14.2 over the course of these five matches so far. So, again, please do let us know your thoughts on that big question. But aside from the bowling... We've also got to talk about Warwickshire's batting this week, Matt, because at one point, the Bears looked to have collapsed. They were 108 for two, actually, in the early exchanges of their first innings. And then all of a sudden, the likes of Doug Bracewell, Shane Snater, Jamie Porter and Sam Cook just took a flurry of wickets. And all of a sudden, the Bears are shaken. They're 172 for nine. And up to the crease steps a man by the name of Oliver Hannon Dalby. Now, for those who have seen OHD bats, He's very old-fashioned. It's very much a case of he'll leave deliveries or he'll just bat out. He'll just play that forward defence, try and make his wicket as difficult as possible for the opposition to take. He he famously took 66 balls to get off the mark against Surrey at a game at Edgbaston last summer. So he came out to the crease with the Bears in quite a bit of trouble at this point. And his batting partner was Hassan Ali. Now, what proceeded to happen at Edgbaston defied belief. Because, to be honest, I expected the Bears to be bowled out for about 180 runs. (laughs) And instead, they ended up being bowled out for 242. It was an immense partnership. It was worth 70 runs. Hassan Ali hit four sixes. And Oliver Hannon-Dolby also hit two massive sixes onto the leg side 
And again, nobody could believe this. This is a man who, to be honest, in his entire career, this is an absolutely fantastic stat, right? Oli Hannon Dolby in his entire first-class career has hit four sixes, and two of them happen to be this week. So, Matt, I've got to ask, that partnership between Hassan Ali and Oliver Hannon Dolby, how remarkable was that for a 10th wicket stand? Yeah, brilliant. And it's, it's, it's an understated thing, the ability to bat all the way down. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, Oli Hannon Dolby is no all-rounder. He can, he can clearly hold a bat, and that is important. But the ability to bat all the way down and have that kind of almost... I think it almost plays on the opposition. You know, if you've got a long tail, it can give the opposition a boost before the game's even begun. Because, you know, you, you, they sort of think, oh, we'll, we'll get them seven down and then we're right into them, in amongst them and, you know, the, we can shoot them out. But then the, when you've got the reverse, the reverse happens. It's quite draining. It's quite demoralising. And if you just, you know, you, when you're bowling at a number 11, you're expecting them to be, you know, wafting away at it or playing some sort of, you know, some sort of Trent Bolt, innovative flamingo, one-foot defensive thing. And, you know, it can be quite almost comedy at times, can't it? But when you're watching your number 11, just gently free his arms and send it flying, flying away like that, then, yeah, it, it, it's, it's... I think the runs almost become of secondary importance. It, it, it's like you get the opposition captain going, well, what do I do now? Like... I didn't, you, you know, you, you don't you don't really put a massive plan in place for the number eleven because you're not expecting to need one. So when you suddenly do need one, it becomes a test of sort of a test of your metal, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, obviously they would have hoped for that first batting bonus point. They didn't quite get it, but they certainly uh, got enough to get the job done in the rest of the matches. I'm sure. Can I quickly ask you, well, by the way, have you got a record of? The other two sixes, because starting to think that he might have hit one against Nottinghamshire in twenty twenty one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there for it. He did. Oh, were you? Yep. Oh, that must have been. Oh, that would have been before. That would have been before the New Year. Yeah, because I was there as well. I was in the press box. So. Well, there we go. So that, that's that's three of them. I think they might actually be the only three that he's hit in a bear shot. I think one of them actually might have been for Yorkshire. Back in the day, someone may have to correct me with that. We'll have to look at the stats. But either way, as you said, Matt, hit the nail on the head right there, mate. Completely changed the game because even though Essex did put up a much better fight in that second inning, Simon Harmer in particular, scoring 59 out from 79 deliveries, they just didn't have enough of a lead to really challenge the Bears in this game with that 215 total in the in the second innings because the Bears, even though they did make it difficult at times, they lost six wickets in pursuit of 100 runs ultimately did surpass that target in just 27.2 overs to get a massive, massive 19-point victory on the board and take them up to second place in the county championship table. So aside from the Bears, Matt, obviously another incredible performance from the Bear and Ragged staff. Just a few words on Essex, and in particular one thing which has been just simmering beneath the surface so far this season. It's a question I've seen a lot on social media, in particular aimed at the Essex um, Cricket Club Twitter admin, funnily enough. But do you think that Essex are a batter light? What's your thought on that whole debate, actually? Because they've got a guy like Paul Walter, for example, who's not playing at the moment, has a first-class average of 37. You've got Feroz Kushi, who in 
recent years have been really good in first-class cricket. Do you think they need to rejig the balance of that starting eleven? What are your thoughts on that particular point of, of conversation? Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously, you know, far be it from me to tell somebody like Anthony McGuire, championship winner, exactly how to go about setting up his team. But I do think that, I think it's worth considering, yeah, because you look at someone like Matt Critchley at number five, you just think, yeah, it's it's just a fraction high, isn't it? He's, you, yes, he's a batting all-rounder, and he's he's not, you know, it's not like you've promoted him way above his ability, but it's just, yeah, it, it feels, the balance of the side feels slightly off, isn't it? I think it's, you probably do just need somebody, another middle order, another middle order batter to maybe just sort of just come in in between, maybe in between Lawrence and Critchley, or if you want to try and really let Critchley make a, have a go at it at number five, then in between Critchley and Michael Pepper, because again, you know, Sam and Harmer can definitely hold a bat, I mean, you know, 50 in this inning, it's not, he's an absolute weapon for us, it's with bat and ball, but at seven, it just feels a bit high, doesn't it? Everybody, yeah. Um, the question, of course, is who do you drop? Because you don't know, you, you know, you, you can't play with 12. So that's potentially why they're not doing it, because, you know, you, you'd, you'd probably have to drop a bowler, and no bowler is exactly making a as well. He's not making a case um, for not being able to remain in the team. They're all making cases to be there. So... I think that's probably the, the main issue here. Um, who would who would you be replacing? So, yeah, I think there's merit in the argument, but at the same time, you've got to consider the realism of it, which is you can't play with 12. We can't play with 12, but at the same time, given the strength of the seam attack, could they drop one of the seamers? Do they need four out-and-out seam bowlers well, in every we, single game? That's the yeah, question, isn't it? Well, that is the thing. I, I agree. Um, but they're another one who complement each other quite well, aren't they? It's like you've got Cook and Porter, who I think the reason they've been so, so successful is because they've got one another. I really do. I mean, it's the same with Warwickshire. You know, the, the sum of the individual sum, the team is adds up to more than the sum of the individuals involved. But it's like you know, who who would who would you drop if you were going to drop someone? Who would you drop? It's a tough one, but I, I mean, to be honest, at the moment, it would be between between Porter and Snater. The only problem is Shane Snater offers you so much with the bats yeah. and Porter's been in great form as well. That's so I think it, if you were dealing with Porter from last year, I don't think it I think it would be a no brainer. But you're dealing with Porter from this year. I think yeah he's it's almost a little bit I think being a bit of a victim of their own success there. It is indeed Matt and again it is the million dollar question. Will Essex be able to strike the balance? Yes or no? Only time will tell but a disappointing performance in the end from the southeastern county. But as for the Bears, the steam train keeps on rolling. They head into blast off in second place as we are recording this, actually. That might change heading into next week because the Bears do have a bye week. But I'll tell you what, it's been a fantastic start to the season. And yeah, for Warwickshire fans, long may it continue. But aside then from the West Midlands county of Warwickshire, Mats, let's head to the East Midlands county of Northamptonshire where Nottinghamshire beat Northants by an innings and 25 runs at Wantage Road. Now, as our resident Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club experts, I shall pass over to you for this one, mate. But what did you make of this game? Because in terms of the, the overall swings of momentum, 
there were loads, weren't there? There were times when Northants, in particular in the in the first innings, looked though they could have put on a pretty good score, and then everything just collapsed. Seven for seventeen was just killer, wasn't it, in this particular game? But in terms of the rest of this encounter, Matt, what did you make of this game between Notts and Northants at the county ground in Wantage Road this week? Yeah, it was, it was um, certainly action-packed, wasn't it? Um, it's the sort of game that I quite enjoy watching as a bowler, I'll be honest. I mean, not, the, not, not in the sense of no batter scoring any runs, but in the sense of just the bowlers really being allowed to show what they can do on a surface that was, was obviously conducive and has been this season and is pretty conducive generally to bowling. But it's like, yeah, the... Every member of that Notts attack, certainly, I mean, in the first inning, you know, in the second inning, it was all about one man, wasn't it? But in the first inning, it's just everybody kind of extra, extracted a bit of movement, just troubling each, each batter as they came in. And it was, it was I mean, it was really down to Pat off, wasn't it? To ensure that Northampton should got anything in the first inning, let alone the second. So, yeah. Um, but Hutton is in superb form. Uh, so far this season, and to be honest, I I think last I'm unsure last season if he was really given a fair crack in the whip. To be honest, because he he almost fell victim to the fact that Notts had such a well stocked theme bowling cupboard that it was it, you know he 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 was a case of he was good enough to be in the eleven, but he was just everybody else was too good. That was the problem. So yeah, it's um it, it, it's good. To, it's good to see him doing well. Um, and then, yeah, he, he was backed up quite nicely by the others in the first innings. Um, you know, Luke Fletcher, Jane Patterson picking up a couple and just, you know, 158 is shooting a side out, let's be honest. It's not in the context of uh, what we can follow, but it, it, it is, you know, a, a low score. Um, but then, Jane Patterson, I mean, yeah, he's just been a revelation since he signed, hasn't he? when you get an overseas player and you bring them back for a second season, it's vindication of your approach of what you've been doing. Then when you bring them back again for a third season, and indeed they've got to sign up for a fourth next year as well, it's, yeah, really, really impressive. And it's underlined exactly that Nottingham should have got the recruitment spot on there. And, yeah, it, it was just Nottingham should basically, I know it's, it, I suppose for a lover of the, all the 18 counties, it might have been a bit of a tough watch because, again, it was an example of the uh, the, the wealthy uh, wealthy Nottingham just sort of showing, flexing the muscles a little bit against Northants, who are one of the ones that uh, usually find themselves up against it a little bit more. But still, you know, there were academy graduates showing off. There were, um, it, it wasn't all about overseas, overseas players, absolutely showing everything, was it? So, yeah, it was. Um, I think I think it's a good game. Um, Nottinghamshire, you know, from, from my personal point of view, good to see them get a win. And just all I can hope really for Northampton is that they put it behind them. They probably accept they were second favourites at best going into this game and just see what see what the immediate future holds because they've proven they can compete. They've proven they can compete last year, so we'll see what what unfolds in the future. Well, let let's zoom in on Northants first and foremost, Matt, because we do have to talk about them. I spoke about Middlesex's struggle with the bats when we spoke about the Surrey game, but Northants have also only scored one batting bonus point. 
in the championship so far this season. This was a characteristic of what made this side so difficult to break down and beat in the summer of 2022. And so far this season, it's just not been the case. And yes, there are positives to take away from this game, in particular the bowling of James Sales. That 4 for 24 from six overs was great to see. It's great to see a young homegrown talent member of the England Under-19 World Cup side performing so well in the first-class format. That was excellent to see. Tom Taylor as well, also taking a forfer. They did claw their way back into this innings with the ball in hand, but with the bat yet again, a massive collapse, 72 all-outs within 30.1 overs. And yes, this Nottinghamshire seam attack are relentless. Yes, Dane Patterson was quite magnificent. I thought he bowled superbly at Wanted Road this week, but this is becoming a pattern now. And the fact is, they are beginning to over-rely on certain players. Sam Whiteman, for example, needs to score runs in order for this side to do well. Same with Ricardo Vasconcelos. The, the middle order for me has got to step up. And even though we're seeing little bits and pieces, like, for example, Tom Taylor's half-century last week, it needs to come together as one unit, because if they keep on getting skittled out for low scores, they're not going to survive. They're not going to survive. And I hate saying that because I've got a lot of respect for North Ants as a club. And I thought they did a great job last season. But yeah, this has got to stop. It, it really does. They've got to try and find something. They've got to try and find a 350, 400 plus run score. It's as simple as that. They've got to put points on the board in the first innings. But Again, you do have to also tip your cap to an excellent display from those Nottinghamshire seamers. You mentioned Brett Hutton, Matt, 25 wickets at 15.04 so far this summer. Incredibly underrated performer. And Dane Patterson, yet again. I had to ask this question, Matt. What makes Dane Patterson so dangerous as a county bowler? Is it his seam presentation? Is it the swing that he generates? Is it the relentless and unending line and length that he possesses what do you think dane patterson possesses which makes him so dangerous a prospect for county championship opposition to face i think it's more the latter yeah i mean you know i'm, I'm not i'm not about to compare him directly with glenn mcgrath but you look at what glenn mcgrath did with what made him so successful it, you don't have to be the fastest i'm standing like my dad here but you know you don't have to be the fastest the most expressed pace the most sticking it right at the base of the stump all the time You've just got to be constantly probing. You just, if, you, if you're constantly on the spot, at the right time, at the right speed, at the right rate, then you will have success. That accuracy, that unerring accuracy is so good. He's he's really intelligent as well, I think. Cricketing-wise, he's really intelligent. Because I think what he's, he, he understands the game really well. And he can set a batter up very well. I mean, the best example I can give of that was against, I think it was against Glamorgan, when I can't remember who the batter was, but he just teed him up beautifully with just three outs, when he was just one, two, three, he was, you know, the batter was ready and prime, and then he just greeted him with an inch yeah, and checked out his off stuff, and it was just so well set up and such a brilliant understanding of the conditions in the game that that's what, it, it, it's that sort of ability to problem solve and that's what you need in a bowler and I think as well I mean quite a few of the uh, the guys have not talked about this last season as well is the presence that he has in the dressing room you know he's quite a loud guy he's quite a confident you know he, he brings quite a lot of warmth 
I think that, to be honest, probably why you get done so well with Luke Fletcher. That you know, it, it, it's really it, it's them two that you know bring that sort of joy and that happiness and that, and that love for the game and characters in the dressing room. But his sort of tenacity as well, and we talked about obviously relentlessness when he's bowling in terms of what he does with the ball, but also like Dave said quite frequently, you know, he will bowl into the wind, he'll bowl up the hill, he'll do the hard yards. That not that nobody else doesn't, not that anybody else doesn't want to do, but he will volunteer for those. And that is, you know, that, that that's the sort of intangible that you just can't really, you can't put that into numbers. You can't say there's any stat there for that that makes it so good. It's just part of him, and it's just part of what makes him such a valuable asset. And he is a really, really valuable asset to Nottinghamshire. I'm, sure. I'm sure they're delighted that they've got him signed up for another season yet well they should be mats and to be honest he just seems to become an even better bowler hasn't he under the guidance and the tenure of of kevin shine i think he's got a really good relationship there hasn't he in a working way with kevin shine i think he's made an, an even better bowler in county yeah, cricket he really has kevin shine is, uh, it, it, i haven't got a bad word to say about kevin shine um salt of the earth though it, brilliant at his job I, I've never been a massive fan of this phrase but he's a really good coach and an even better man honestly he's like he, he is a, he's a really lovely bloke um, he's always you know even you know me in the first season the unpaid intern no idea really still learning no idea really what I was doing and he was just a pleasure to interview and say so, yeah um, I, don't, I don't know if he listens but if he does then yes um, he is he is a lovely man and I have a lot of respect for him well, that is lovely to hear, Matt. It really is. That's great to hear. And to be honest, Dane on the podcast as well said the exact same thing. Sort of the earth. Great, great fella. And yeah, for Dane Patterson, the great Dane, as the Not Social Media team have, have coined him, it's certainly paying off that work with Kevin Shine. So another massive win for Nottinghamshire. As we shall discuss when we look at the tables, it's propelled them into the top four in this year's county championships. So a fantastic result. For the East Midlands County, a disappointing one for North Ants, but I've got to say they've got to improve. If the batting in the first innings in particular can improve, fingers crossed, they can change their fortunes around heading into the rest of this summer. But aside from that game in the East Midlands, then, Matt, let's head to the northwest and let's go to Emirates Old Trafford, where Somerset and Lancashire played out a draw in Manchester. Now, this was an interesting game, wasn't it, Mr. Wiley? Because, as we shall discuss, it has been overshadowed a little bit by events on the fourth day. But Lanks won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this particular encounter, which in the early exchanges paid off magnificently. They had Somerset struggling on all sorts on 12 for three within just 12 overs of their first innings. But after this shaky start, that first innings belonged well and truly to one man. And that man was James Rue. Matt, we keep on mentioning him show by show, game by game. And as of this recording, he is currently the leading run scorer in the first division with 539 runs, an average of 67.37 and three centuries to his name in just five matches. So in your opinion, Matt, what makes James Rue so special? Because a lot of people have seen him, they look at his talent, his technique, his temperament, his ability, and they look at him as a future England superstar. And again, he's got lots of time. He's just 19 years old. We're not putting any unnecessary pressure on him. But what do you think makes James Rue such a special prospect, in your opinion? I think, 
think it's the fact that he's got everything at such a young age. I mean, I mentioned this last week, didn't I? So just sort of compare him with somebody like Jude Bellingham, who just seems to be light years ahead of where he should be. It's that maturity, that confidence, and just, you know, when, when you get somebody who's young and is just sort of first breaking into the team, they can be, you know, they, they can maybe be a bit prone to a bit of rash decision-making because, you know, maybe a little bit of lacking confidence in some areas to maybe go after a ball that is there to be hit, but you're just not quite sure that so you, so you don't. Or, yeah, you, I mean, maybe you look at somebody like Alice Capsi in the women's game as well. Her sort of decision-making can sometimes be a little bit questionable, but you always would say, well, she's only young, that will come, the talent is there. I think with James Drew, you've already got that. I think that's the, and that's what sets him apart. It's the, you know, you, you can talk about wonder kids having all the talent in the world, but unless you're under the tutelage of a brilliant coach, or you've already somehow just got that kind of maturity, then there might always be a bit more of a step to take. There's always something, there's always something you can improve on. And obviously, I'm not saying that Germany is perfect, not by any stretch. There is always areas you can improve, but. That is a massive, massive thing to have at a young age. And I think that's what sets him apart. He's a 19-year-old playing like a 29-year-old. He is, Matt. And, and to be honest, he loves playing Lancashire, doesn't he? He does. When you think about how that, that knock against them in Southport last season, all three of his centuries as well have come against Lancashire County Cricket Club in the summer of 2023. So, yet again, James Rue just proving what a fantastic talent he continues to be. And... In response to this, in fairness, Lanks themselves actually put up quite a respectable total, 326 to be specific, in their first innings with Daryl Mitchell, who plays his club cricket for Blackpool Cricket Club up in the northwest, a fantastic club in a beautiful area in Stanley Park. He scored 105 from 177 deliveries. George Balderson as well, who continues to impress while opening the bat in, chipping in with 71 put Lanks in a pretty good position in this game because, yes, they had the deficits, but we were heading into day four with a pretty interesting game situation on our hands. And this is where the big talking point, arguably, of the entire round comes into it because, on paper, you might look at this scorecard and think Somerset 398 for five declared is a little bit overkill. Now, there's a lot to discuss here isn't there, Matt? Because at lunch, I thought they were going to declare. They had a lead of around about 264, 265 runs. They come out to bat again. The lead surpasses 300. They still don't declare. The lead goes past 400 at one point. Somerset still don't declare. So what did you make of Somerset's decision not to declare their innings? And the important thing to realise as well, just to give this some extra background, this is from the mouth of Craig Overton, on Twitter, the Somerset bowler, apparently Somerset actually offered a declaration target of 350 across 90 overs in the afternoon session on day three. So that was the agreement they were trying to barter for heading into that final day. But Lancashire flat out refused. So what did you make of the whole declaration debacle that we saw up at Emirates Old Trafford this week? Yeah, it was a real shame, wasn't it? I mean, the fact that Lancashire didn't want to do it, I think... It's quite disappointing, really, because with Lancashire, you're looking at a team that needs a win, you know, was touted as a pre-season favourite for the time, well, certainly among that group of 
three or four that had a real genuine chance of winning the thing and yet have started with not awfully but not spectacularly either you know four matches four draws and you're thinking well at that point you know this is this is the direction that England are trying to take cricket in the ability to to say we are prepared to risk losing in order to win but Lancashire clearly whoever made that decision whether it's true we have to take that into account as well of course we don't know really you know, there's no corroboration of anything what any, that anybody's said here but if that is true it is disappointing that Lancashire have gone into the shells a bit and that's almost in, in a way it's almost accepting defeat isn't it it's saying we don't back ourselves we don't have enough faith in ourselves that we feel this risk is worth taking because if you have a coach that believes in his team and thinks that they can do they, they can pull off things like this and they can have they have the ability that he wants them to have then you would back them and you would say yes all right fine 350 come on lad let's go for it and it was a real opportunity to kick start their season and they haven't taken it and it's a it's a shame for the game as a whole because I don't know, you know, how close an eye Brendan McCollum keeps on the minute details of things like this. But you would have to feel that looking at something like that, he would probably think this goes against what I'm trying to do here. And you know, he's not trying to, he's just trying to do it with the team themselves. He's not trying to absolutely revolutionise English cricket as a whole. But you would definitely have to think if he's looking at that and thinking, this is the game that's producing players for my team. I don't like it. And I'll be honest, I don't like it either. I think it's a bit... Yeah, I hesitate. I'm not going to use the word cowardly because that's far too strong. But it's a bit of a, a, a cop-out for me. And it's a bit of a shame. And yeah, this is all under the cloud of if it's true. But yeah, it's, it's a shame for me, it really is. It was, Matt. To be honest, I completely echo that sentiment. It's completely taken the shine off what was up until that point. A pretty good game of cricket, and it is a shame, and obviously it's going to be a he said, he said kind of situation, and we probably never will get a definitive answer, but for the game, the wider game of county cricket, this was the whole reason why the new point system was introduced to prevent games like this from happening. And do you know the people I feel the worst for? The people who paid money to go to Old Trafford today, because even though the likes of James Roo and Casey Aldridge, and again, it's a shame for Casey Aldridge, the guy's just scored his maiden first-class century. That's a massive thing for a very, very talented young cricketer. And yet that's just going to be put to one side now because of the the debacle that we, we've seen at Old Trafford with this declaration. It's a shame that the conversation is now being shifted to that and all the off-field stuff, as opposed to what we witnessed on the field. But yeah, disappointing end to the game. To be honest, there's not really much more that I'm going to add. The only thing that I do also have to say from a Lancashire perspective, a big, big blow, Jimmy Anderson might be injured, Um, which again, for our Ashes chances, isn't amazing, considering the likes of Jofra, Ollie Stone and Bryden Cars are also injured at the moment. I think Mark Wood might also be struggling ever so slightly with a little bit of an injury. So yeah, fingers crossed for Jimmy's sake and for England's sake that that injury isn't too serious. But, Matt, aside then from that game between Somerset and Lancashire, up in the northwest, let's head to our fifth and final game for Division 1 in the sixth round, which saw Kent and Hampshire 
play out a very entertaining draw at the Spitfire Grounds in Canterbury. Now, in this game, Hampshire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first, and this decision seems to have paid off quite magnificently for the visitors as Kent were skittled out for a woeful total of 95 runs within just 37.4 overs on day one of this clash. And in response to this, by the end of day one, Hampshire were 89 for none at stumps. So by this point, you're thinking Hampshire are in complete and utter control. They've taken this game by the scruff of the neck. And to be honest, the openers did an absolutely fantastic job. And even then, yes, Hampshire did suffer from a slight collapse in that first innings. They did lose wickets in bunches to the likes of Wes Agar and to the likes of Joey Everson. But then they had that middle to lower order of post, an 84 from Liam Dawson, a 41 from Ian Holland, and a fantastic 51 from 59 from James Fuller, ultimately catapulted the Rosen Crown up to a massive total of 373 runs by the end of their first innings. Now, by this point, Kent fans were probably a little bit sceptical. They were probably a little bit worried, a little bit concerned, given the fact that the side have not batted well in the county championship so far this summer. But to give Kent County Cricket Club an immense amount of credits, to give them all of the plaudits in the world, I thought they battled away exceptionally on day four in Canterbury this week. The likes of Zach Crawley dug in with 56 from 133, Ben Compton a typically gritty 54 from 144 deliveries. And then the likes of Jack Leaning and Jordan Cox, 16 not out and 30 not out respectively ultimately salvaging those massive five points for Kent in a game against a very solid bowling attack. So, Matt, first and foremost, Kent's batting, so much better to see that grit, that fight, that resolve, that resilience from the white horse on day four today, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and much better than, obviously, when the chips were down, the, the situation was really against them. They were batting to save the game. You know, there was nothing really in it for them in terms of a win, wasn't it? So the fact that they're able to do that and when they're up against it was, yeah, pleasing. And Zach Crawley, obviously, is um, more than just Kent interest in how he performed. So obviously, it wasn't quite uh, what it wouldn't have been quite what um, Brendan McCullum again is really looking for. But it was really important in the match situation and again showing the ability to do that, which is yeah, really impressive. Uh, ben Compton again, you know. Last season, he, he had a, a brilliant run scoring like that, and you, you do you do still need players like that. They are still around. No one's getting rid of them just yet. They that ability to just dig in and score, not at a rate that, that pleases them in no hurry, is really good. And yeah, it was um, like I said when the chips were down, they came up. Yeah, it was really really good from them. And, uh, much needed for sure. A hundred percent. Much needed is a very good way of describing it, to be honest, Matt. And again, I do give them immense credit because it's been a tough start to the season for Kent. And they easily could have rolled over against what is an exceptional bowling attack that Hampshire possess. But they didn't. They battled away. They showed valour. They showed courage. They showed fight. And it's exactly the kind of performance which they can take confidence in heading into a massive clash at the Oval against Surrey in the seventh round. And even for Hampshire, Matt, yes, I think Hampshire will be disappointed, obviously, because given the strength of that seam attack, they would have maybe expected a bit more than four wickets on the fourth and final day, potentially pushing for that victory. But one thing that really did impress me with Hampshire this week was the batting. 
We've been crying out for a performance like that for weeks now, and that is a really, really promising sign for the Rosen crowd because, yes, you had that middle order contribution, and I mentioned that, but Hampshire so far this season have struggled up top. So they've had a lot of single digits and borderline double-digit opening opening stands so far in the championship. But in this one, between Middleton and Weatherly, they put on 107 runs. So I thought those two batted incredibly well in Canterbury this week. And again, for Hampshire, they can take a massive, massive positive from that. Because if they do put runs on the board in games like this, where it isn't weather-affected and rain isn't playing spoil sport, I suppose, across one or, or two of the days, they're going to win games of cricket with the sheer strength of that bowling attack. So even for Hampshire, yes, it's a disappointing result on paper, but I think they can be really, really pleased with the way in which they batted. And someone else who I just have to mention from a Hampshire perspective, a lot of people know that I've got so much respect for this guy, but Keith Barker, with the dismissal of Zach Crawley in that first innings, took his 500th wickets in first-class crickets. He's called King Keith for a reason. He might have missed the Warwickshire game because of his coronation on the 6th of May. But Keith Barker was absolutely brilliant in that first innings yet again and absolutely delighted for the great man. So, to be honest, in terms of this game, it was really good. I really enjoyed this game between Kent and Hampshire this week. Great to see Hampshire put up some fight with the bats. And the exact same goes for Kent. Both of these sides can take huge positives to take with them heading into the next round of this year's county championship. So, Matt, aside then from those five Division One games, let's have a look at the table at the end of the sixth round. So, currently at the top of the Division One table are the defending champions, Surrey, on 82 points. Very close on the heels of the Brown Caps of the Bear and Ragged Staff of Warwickshire on 79 points. In third and fourth place are Hampshire and Nottinghamshire, respectively, both on 57 points apiece. In 5th are Essex on 53 points. In 6th are Middlesex on 48 points. In 7th and 8th place are Lancashire and Somerset on 46 points and 44 points respectively. In ninth are Kent on 39 points. And in 10th and bottom place of Division 1 at the end of the 6th round are North Ants on 35 points. So it's looking very interesting, isn't it, Division 1? I think so far, and yes, it's very early days, we have almost got this stratification, haven't we? Of the table, you've got your front runners in Surrey and Warwickshire. You've got a very tasty mid-table looking affair, haven't you? Between the likes of Hampshire, Nottinghamshire, Essex and Middlesex. And then you've got Kent and Northant struggling for the time being. But at the same time, it's very early days. And both of those sides can definitely have the time to turn things around. So it's looking good. I've got to say, Division 1, it never ceases to produce the goods. And I'll tell you what, if Surrey and Warwickshire can keep up these performances, we have got one heck of a time to take with us into the rest of the summer of 2023. And Matt, aside from the first division, let's take a look at the second division. And unfortunately for yourself, mate, as a fan of the White Rose, we do start at the Riverside, where Durham beat Yorkshire by one wicket in an instant classic at Chesterler Street. So, Yorkshire won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game. And Matt, I've got to come to you first when it comes to this game. But what did you make of Yorkshire's batting in that first innings? Yeah, below par, wasn't it? It just felt like it was one of those where so many got dark and then it was crying out for somebody to go on, wasn't it? And 
get something and it was just yeah frustrating I think can be the good word there because you know you you look at people like David Milan and Shan Masood even even Johnny Burstow you know the, 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 the platforms were there and the ability to go and get something was there and just the fact that no one took it you know with one batting point could have been maybe even three or four if somebody had just gone on and we needed one to get a massive score and two or three others just to add maybe 30 runs each and it would have yeah back back whoever the one that went to get a massive score on back him up and could have been a very different story but yeah it was just that the fact that you know bowler talked about the importance of breaking partnership at crucial times and Durham did that every time and yeah I think we've probably only got ourselves it probably was that that first inning where the game was lost I would say the, the fact that just nobody went on to to get a big score it was a shame it was a shame Matt and to be honest with the ball in hand Yorkshire actually did quite a good job didn't they in that first innings for Durham reducing the home side to 227 all out by the end of 64.5 overs aside from Ollie Robinson's 44 and Scott Borthwick's 35 the host really struggled to generate any momentum in that first innings as the likes of George Hill taking figures of 4 for 43 and Jordan Thompson chipping in with 3 for 55 really made life difficult for the Durham batters at the Riverside this week. But unfortunately for Yorkshire, in their second innings, again, they just couldn't press home the advantage, could they, Matt? Ultimately skittled out for 218 runs. George Hill yet again impressing me, though. 51 for 52 balls. He is a very, very exciting prospect to say the least, with both bat and ball in hand, if you are to take a positive away from a Yorkshire perspective, George Hill is the massive one from this particular game. But as a result of that second innings, it wasn't a great score from the White Rose. Durham had a very achievable target of 246 runs to chase down over the course of the fourth day. And in fairness to Durham, they did have a huge wobble, didn't they? At one point, they were 173 for eight. You're thinking... All they need, two wickets, Yorkshire, one win. But unfortunately for Yorkshire fans, Ben Rain turned up, didn't he? 50 not out from 114 deliveries. Matthew Potts scoring a massive, massive 25 as well. As Durham ultimately snuck across the line with just one wicket to spare to take away a huge victory in the sixth round of the county championship. So, Matt, before we talk about Yorkshire and we talk about their strife and their trouble, in the county championship since April 2022. A few words on Durham, because in the previous show, we mentioned about the, the strength of the same attack, but it's not just the same attack, is it? They're getting these lower order contributions from the likes of Ben Rain and Paul Coughlin and Ollie Robinson, who's been a fantastic signing. So in terms of this Durham team, I know we're only five games in and it's still relatively early on in the season. But if that same department can stay fit, and I know they've lost riding cars to injury, but if they can stay fit and they can maintain that balance in the side, do you fancy their chances at promotion to the first division? Yeah, one hundred percent, I do. I think the, you know, they they, they underwhelmed last season, didn't they? They were talked about as being up there last season, and on on the basis of the talent that they've got, and they weren't. But they've still got that same talent, and like you said, if anything, they've added to it with. Ollie Robinson coming in, and you know whether whether they lose Matt Potts to England UT, still still remain to be seen definitely. But yeah, the the talent is there, and I see no reason at all why they couldn't 
when you when you've got two that go up, there'd be no reason at all why they couldn't make it one of them. Um, it's just the fact that they've got to obviously, like you said, they were only five games in. They've got to keep it going. They can't let the blast break sort of derail them, as it were. They've got to stay focused on it. Um, you know, the blast break can work two ways. If you've got a team that's struggling a little bit and in need of a reset, it can be quite good. But you've got to make sure that it doesn't derail a team that's performing very well and has performed very well so far this season. So, yeah, that's the, the key will be consistency. But if they can come through that, then I think you've absolutely got to say they will be firmly in the conversation, yeah. They will, Matt. And to be honest, that brings a huge smile to my face because I, along with a lot of people like Durham County Cricket Club, we all know about the, the circumstances which led to them being relegated in 2016. And it was a massive shame for that club because they'd done so well. They'd won the county championship three occasions up until that point in 2008, 2009 and 2013. And then everything just unravelled and it wasn't even the players' fault. So to see this resurgence of Durham cricket, to see them playing with such belief, such confidence, under the guidance of Ryan Campbell, who I've got to say is doing a great job so far. I think for Durham fans, this has the makings of a very, very special season. And honestly, I'm wishing them all the very best of luck because if they keep on playing like this, they're going to be playing first division cricket very, very soon indeed. But Matt, on the flip side of that, we have to talk about Yorkshire. And we do have to talk about that unwanted record or unwanted streak, I suppose. 18 games now without a win in the county championship for the most successful side in county cricket history. First and foremost, where do you think things are going wrong for Yorkshire? And I suppose the follow-up question to that, Matt, how on earth can the White Rose change around their fortunes heading into the rest of the summer? Because that is quite the poor streak, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, where are things going wrong? Everywhere. They, they seem, yeah, they seem shot of, I think, any confidence, any sort of belief in themselves. Um, I think that underpins the fact that they've got, you know, that, that so many have got those platforms in the first things and just didn't go on. They haven't got that sort of, you need that confidence and that swagger and that sort of belief in yourself to push on and and they're not and then they've not got it have they so you know you see on twitter you know people criticizing gibson Otis gibson and darren goff and all oh, it's time to go and all that sort of stuff and no it's not you know they, these people are they, they know what they're doing they should be given time of course they should but i do almost wonder and i mean i'm not saying wave the white wave the white flag at this point but I do almost wonder if it might be. Obviously, this point deductions coming. I mean, there must be. We'll see. We'll see exactly what happens. But there must be point deductions coming. But basically, say, okay, let's accept it. We're not getting promoted this season. Let's try and let's try a different approach of consolidation. We've got some good young players in this team coming through. You know, Matty Revis, uh, Thompson, blossoming fast. Um, like you said, George Hill with a proper prospect. You know, we've got some real foundations in the team and we just need to allow them time to blossom. So maybe we almost take it take a bit of a backward step and just say, you know what, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough rest of season. It might be another tough season next time out, but you know, you can't go down from division two. I'm not gonna say let's give up completely. Obviously that would be ridiculous and defeated, but 
yeah, let's just accept that this season clearly isn't it. We've got time to sort things out with this crop of young players and then maybe just we'll, we'll come back again in, in a couple of years' time um, under this current coaching setup and this, this current backroom setup. I have no question about any of those. You know, this is not football. Counties, even counties like Yorkshire, can't afford to sack a, to sack a manager left, right, and centre, you know. A coach, sorry, left, right, and centre. That's just not how things work. People have got it into their head that this is how you deal with things in professional sport purely because football does it. And football is a complete financially money washed anomaly, and pretty much every other sport can't afford to do that. So, yeah, I think you just have to stick with it, accept that things aren't working in terms of our targets this season, revise those targets, and then, yeah. Um, Try and try and pick things up with this crop of players with two more years experience on the back in the future and try and go for it again from there. I think. Well, to be honest, Matt, either way you look at it, it's rough times, isn't it? It is rough times, and it's not the fact that we've, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of entitlement. Obviously, it's it's really difficult because, you know, I I don't, I, I've never thing is I've never seen Yorkshire in this. Sort of all-conquering team, whereas people older than me have. You know, the, the, the people older than me that have, that have seen this team win championship after championship regularly. But the, the best I've got is the back-to-back under Jason Gillespie. And you know, I, I regularly, I'm, you know, sort of seventeen, eighteen-year-old me regularly begged that Jason Gillespie would come back when we had Andrew Gale, and I, I never thought that Andrew Gale was good enough. I will be honest. I do think that Otis Gibson is good. I mean, you look at his CV and it, it, it's far better. You know, we've not got the same sort of rancor that we had around Gale where he was constantly getting accused of being the cheap option and things like that. Whereas, you know, Gibson has been recruited because of he, he has a, a really good CV. He has the experience. You know, the, the guy's been involved with England, goodness sake. You know, he, he knows what he's doing. There's no doubt about that. I was a little bit disappointed with his comments after the Leicestershire game when he was like, Oh, we, you know, we'll take a lot from this. We can learn. There were still some positives, and no, right, we've just lost to a team that hasn't won in two years on our home ground by letting them knock off three hundred and ninety. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to accept comments like that. But I still, I do have faith in him, um, and it would take a lot to undo that. Um, I think as well, the eighteen match winless run, a lot have been drawn. You know, it's not like we've lost 18 in a row. So, it just, yeah, it, it's something does need to change in terms of our sort of aspirations and what we want this team to be, which I think is, I think it's been warped by the demands that are placed on them. But I think if we can just sort of step away from that demand, step away from the name, I mean, the name Yorkshire County Cricket Club carries a lot of of weight, doesn't it? You know, it's it's a. I don't want to say Man United because obviously it's nothing like the same pressure, but it is. It's that sort of expectation that comes with you, isn't it? it it's like because of the fame and the the level of success that the county have had in the past. It it's, it, it comes with it, and I think the expectation is always going to be there. But you know, sometimes you have to accept that that's that's not the one. No one, no one's guaranteed success. No one deserves success unless you've really worked 
point and put foundations in place to build towards it. And I think ultimately right now we're in this stage where we have to build towards something. This is not a team that's going to win anything. It's a team that, well, it, it might be a team that could win something in a few years, but right now it, it's not a team that's going to win something. This is a young group and they need they need an arm around the shoulder. And I think, to be honest, it's going to be a little while before we get anything. Well, only time will tell, won't it, Matt? But I'll tell you what, for Yorkshire, the T20 Blast cannot come soon enough, can it? Yeah, it's a good job barely. that they've they've got the bye week, to be honest. But aside from Yorkshire, great performance from Durham. And yes. yet again, a fantastic start to the season for the Northeastern County and thoroughly deserving winners of this encounter at Chester Street this week. But aside from that encounter then between Yorkshire and Durham up at the Riverside, Matt, let's head to Sophia Gardens. Let's head to Wales for the sixth round where Glamorgan beat Worcestershire by 10 wickets in Cardiff. Now, Glamorgan won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which appeared to have paid off splendidly in South Wales this week as the home side skittled out Worcestershire for just 109 runs within 40.3 overs of the first innings, with the likes of Michael Nisa taking 4 for 40 and James Harris, who's having a very good start to the season, chipping in with 4 for 18 from just 7.3 overs. Now, in response to this, Glamorgan got off to a pretty good start. They were 88 for 1 within just 18 overs. Now, they did suffer a little bit of a shaky collapse in the in the next exchanges. Adam Finch taking his first career five-wicket haul for Worcestershire, ending with figures of 5 for 74 to put Glamorgan in a little bit of strife on 181 for 7. But then Michael Nisa came to the party quite spectacularly. 86 from 120 deliveries, 13 fours, a 71.66 strike rate. Is Michael Nisa a dark horse for Ash's selection, in your view? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I mean, he was involved in the uh, in the last one, wasn't he, down under? So, and did well. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong with English batters quaking the boots at Virgin. I mean, you know, if I was in Australia and bowling at an English lineup in Australia, I'd probably manage to take 20 wickets somehow. They'd, they'd get themselves out somehow, wouldn't they? But no, he's he's brilliant. And he's proven that, he proved it last year as well. He's, he's one that clearly is well suited to English conditions and and had the ability to do a bit with the bat in the lower order as well. You know, you, you know, you know how much of a fan I am of a guy who can hold a bat in the lower order, how crucial they can be. And yeah, he's a superb bowler. He's got himself in uh, into just a little bit of form with the bat at just the right time. Um, yeah, I see absolutely no reason why not. I think the only fear for Glamorgan would be that if he was to be called up, they'd want to see him playing, wouldn't they? You wouldn't want to lose him just to have him carrying the drinks for six weeks. But yeah, there's no reason to think that he can't be in that squad 100%. Absolutely, Matt. And to be honest, so far for Glamorgan, he's had a really good start to the summer. 16 wickets in four matches, averaging 25.37. And then with the batting hand as well, 330 runs and average of 46.5. So with Michael Nisa in this team, Glamorgan really do look like a tour de force, don't they? They do look like that promotion contender that we thought they'd be in the previous show. And to be honest, this performance showed exactly why. Because in Worcestershire's second innings, they did put up a much better riposte. There wasn't a single 50-plus score for the pairs, but the likes of Matthew Waite, he scored 45. Gareth Roderick scored 36. Adam Ho scored 35. And Azar Ali scored 34. They did have these contributions. 
But given that massive deficit from the first innings, it was just simply not enough to ever trouble Glamorgan in this particular encounter, with a target of 79 runs being set for the Welsh side, which they polished off within just 20 overs. Eddie Byram scoring a quick-fire 51 out from 55, and the captain, David Lloyd, also getting a red inker with 39 out from 65 deliveries to take Glamorgan to a thumping 10-wicket victory on just the third day in Cardiff. Now, Matt, before we talk about Worcestershire and we talk about their batting struggles in this game and potentially in the wider context of the season itself, this is a massive win for Glamorgan, isn't it? After a, a relatively slow start by their standards, it was somewhat sedate in the early rounds. They've gone off to an absolute flyer in these past couple of games. And all of a sudden, with the likes of Marnus, Michael Nisa, and this resurgence of James Harris and Jamie McElroy, they look like a real force to be reckoned with in Division 2 this year. They do, yeah. And that was so important. The ability to win and win well. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was it, that crushing manner, isn't it? I mean, the fact that, you know, Worcestershire started, they've, they've had a perfectly decent start to the season themselves. They've shown off their ability um, with some good players that they've got. But yeah, if, if you want to win promotion, and I think you have to say Glamorgan are favourites to win the division, then you've got to score these really massive wins and they do as much for your confidence as anything else, don't they? You know, a 10 wicket win, it's kind of akin to 3 or 4 nil in football. It's that just, you were outclassed and yeah, Worcestershire were ultimately outclassed. They won it pretty much on the on the first day, didn't they, with the by shooting them out for 109, but you know, being constantly on top and then having the ability to really drive it home, that is the mark of that's what makes a good team a great one and ultimately makes a promotion winner a title winner, I think. And they yeah, it's it's a really, really massive win for them. Um, especially ahead of the season breaking because when the I'm sorry ahead of the championship breaking because then when it does resume in June they will be able to kind of think right what did we do last time oh yes okay we've got that let's go and do it again yeah it was a statement victory wasn't it, it for was. all intents and purposes from the Welsh outfit this week and as for Worcestershire it was a really disappointing performance it was almost the opposite wasn't it after I mentioned the the tenacity that they showed against Sussex last week. They just collapse in that first innings. And yes, you can't lose the first-class game on the first innings, right? We've seen some incredible comebacks in the years. I think back to England being bowled out for 67 at Leeds and then Ben Stokes providing that miracle up at Headingley and England chased, was it 360 pretty much, 358 runs. But yeah, this was just a massive off game for Worcestershire. If you do look at the, the wider context as well, seven batting bonus points so far in Division 2 this season for a side which in the past few years has been a lot better with the bat in hand compared to the ball is a little bit concerning. So I'm not saying that it's an absolute disaster just yet. I don't think it's, you know, going to completely derail the season. But I, I don't understand why that batting unit isn't gelling so far because you look at the names on paper with the addition of Adam Hose, you've got Azarali, who's a Pakistan international. You've got Jack Haynes, who's one of the most exciting prospects batting-wise. In the country, in my opinion, the guy can play every single shot in the book. But for some reason, it's just not gelling. And I do think for Worcestershire, the T20 break couldn't come at a better time. The only thing that I will say, aside from the batting, though, and this is a massive positive, actually, for Worcestershire, 
And I did want to give this guy a shout out. Adam Finch taking that Pfeiffer. Great to see. Born and bred in Stourbridge. Worcestershire through and through. And he thoroughly, thoroughly deserved that. In what was a very, very tough game for the Pairs this week, I thought he bowled very, very well indeed. So congratulations to Adam Finch and congratulations to Glamorgan County Cricket Club coming back in fantastic fashion and really stomping their authority in Division 2 with that thumping 10-wicket victory. But Matt, aside then from that clash in Cardiff, let's head to Leicester, where Leicestershire County Cricket Club played out a pretty entertaining draw with Sussex down at Grace Road. Now, Leicestershire won the toss and opted to have a bowl first in this game, a game which unfortunately was very, very rain-affected. With that being said, though, the rain didn't seem to affect the wicket whatsoever, as Sussex piled on the pressure with a mammoth 430 runs from just 118.3 first innings overs. And Matt, we've got to talk about the man of the moment, Tom Alsop. 182 not outs. We keep on mentioning this guy across formats, and I've got to say, I don't think he gets enough respect and enough credit for what he provides for this Sussex side. A lot of people will look at the likes of Pajara, they'll look at the likes of Ali Orr and Tom Haynes and Steve Smith in recent weeks. But Tom Alsop across formats has just been a revelation. He was a good player at Hampshire, but he just seems to have taken his game to a completely higher level down at Sussex. He's his own cricketer. He's got his identity. He's playing all the shots in the book. And this was just an exhibition in first-class batting. 182 not outs, career best score for the wicketkeeper batter. A few words on that masterclass from Tom Alsop, if you could, Matt. Yeah, I think you've summed it up quite well there, almost. You're a little bit more when you play for a county like Hampshire, Lancashire, Yorkshire, Warwickshire, you know, at a major international ground. I think it's very easy to get lost in the noise of it all a little bit, isn't it? And find yourself more of a more of a number than an individual. And because the focus on performance is so high, whereas when you're at a club like Sussex, then it's, it's a little bit more, you know, it's more smaller ground, more recognisable faces, and you know, more of a less of a pressurised atmosphere I think you could say it can let you know certain people flourish under the pressure others would flourish at a ground like like Sussex at a team like Sussex where yeah there's, there's not that sort of constant attention and expectation on you and I think someone like Tom Althorpe who has gone from being a bit of a bit part player at Hampshire to somebody who can really lead this team and mould and innings in his image, I think he's clearly found his groove and he found his niche. You know, he, he went as part of that swap deal with Ben Brown, and I think it, it, it's worked out both ways, hasn't it? You know, Hampshire have got a really good player, Sussex have got a really good player, but both have got players that fit their identity. I think um, not that Ben Brown didn't fit Sussex's. You know, he's flourished anywhere he's gone, but I think it's in terms of that swap deal. It's worked out really, really well all round. And yeah, Tom Ostop, I mean, 182, yeah, what can you say? It was masterful, wasn't it? Just whatever, wherever they seemed to bowl to him, he was just confidently putting it away. It was all along the ground. It was nice and classy, and it wasn't, it was unhurried. It was just, it, it was the sort of inning that you can build a team in the round. I mean, do, that's exactly what they did. Although I do know that he didn't bat for very long with the. Uh, 
with Mr. Smith, which I'm quite excited about, which I'm uh, quite happy about. I'm not going to laugh too hard because that'll take too long, but um, uh, that, that's quite funny, isn't it? Well, it's not funny if you're a Sussex fan, is it, Matt, to be honest? Just it's three not, runs for... Yeah, I suppose, again, it's an Ashes year. We do have to think about that. And, yeah, trapped LBW for three from 14 balls by Vion Mulder. But talking of another international who batted very well this week but didn't quite reach three figures was Chiteshwa Pajara. And I've got to be honest, I was stunned. My mouth dropped. It, honestly, my jaw was on the floor when I saw this, that he was dismissed for 77 by Tom Scriven. Great bit of bowling as well by Tom Scriven. Drew him into playing a, a shot outside his off stump, drew the outside edge. Jobs are good, and, but yeah, as a result of that, the conversion rate is no longer 100% for Chiteshwa Bajara. He's finally scored a 50 instead of 100 in a Sussex shirt. And as a result of this, I mean, his, his average in a Sussex shirt in first-class cricket has now dropped to a paltry 964 Absolutely shocking. Obviously, that is massive sarcasm. 96.14 is ridiculous. And to be honest, <laughs> that was another fantastic innings from the Indian international. But yeah, Tom Scriven, well done. Father Rismus, as he's now going in that Leicestershire dressing room, providing the goods with a very nice piece of bowling indeed. And talking of good bowling, Sussex themselves actually bowled very nicely in Leicestershire's first innings. Finn Hudson Prentice taking four for 48. The Spartan warrior Aristides Carvelas taking four for 79. As the Martlis dismissed Leicestershire for 270 runs by the end of their first innings. But with his back against the wall, with the pressure somewhat mounting on the Foxes, one man, or I should say two men, stepped up to the plate for the home side at Grace Road this week. The first one being Rishi Patel and... Honestly, this makes my heart smile because Rishi is not just a fantastic fella, but he's also a very talented cricketer. We saw this from his Essex days. He dominated in the second 11 for the Southeastern County. And he's just got off to a scintillating start to life in a Fox's shirt. And so far this season, three centuries over the course of five matches. I couldn't be happier for him. Chigwell's finest is producing the goods and all is well. In that case, so Rishi Patel, take a bow, fantastic start to the summer, and long may it continue. And the other player that I just had to mention for this week, Matt, was of course Vion Mulder. Mentioned him for his bowling against Steve Smith, but the batting as well. 102 not outs from 167 deliveries, 16 fours to boot as well. Great innings from a fantastic overseas signing. He's been great across formats for Leicestershire. As Vion Mulder with the bat, the ball in hand, he provides a real energy, leadership and passion in the field. Eight-year recruitments from Leicestershire County Cricket Club. If you ask me, and it's fantastic to see Vion Mulder back in the runs and back in the wickets. So, all in all, a very good game of cricket. I loved it. And as if that wasn't enough, just to end on one final stat for the Leicestershire fans out there, we've got to take a look at Chris Wright's batting average because so far in the county championship... Steve Smith is averaging 16.5. One of the best players on planet Earth is averaging 16.5 in Division 2. By comparison, Chris Wright of Leicestershire is averaging 84.33. Chris Wright, it, the birth of the bowling all-rounder. He might be the batting all-rounder at this point if he wasn't taking wickets. I mean, he's also taken 15 wickets at 31.8 to just complement that batting performance. But... Great to see Wrighty back in the runs. And again, just an excellent game of cricket. Shame about the rain, because we could have had a result, potentially, 
but the cricket that was on display was of a very high standard. I think this Sussex team looked very good. I think they're dark horses for promotion in this year's county championship. I love the balance of the batting. If that bowling attack can come to the forefront, if they can get the likes of a Brad Curry and a Carvelas up and running and generating momentum in county championship matches, just watch out for the martlets, just simmering beneath the surface and producing some excellent performances. A very, very impressive team, to say the least. But aside then from that incredible encounter between Leicestershire and Sussex in the East Midlands, let's head to our ninth and final game from the sixth round, which took place at the Encora Ground in Derby, where Derbyshire and Gloucestershire played out a hugely rain-affected draw in Derby. Now, in terms of this game, Gloucestershire won the toss and opted to have a bowl first, a decision which, honestly, seemed to have paid off. Derbyshire restricted to 251 for 9 by the end of their first innings. But I've got to say, Mats, and you're not going to like me, but for the first time in 2023, I can say one of my favourite puns in County Cricket Podcast history. But Harry came, Harry saw, and Harry conquered at the Encora Ground this week. 108 from 192 deliveries for the Derbyshire opener. Simply exquisite. From Harry came, and I've got to say, even from his Hampshire days, I really like the way in which he bats. At times, he does have these dismissals, which you look at and you think, yes, that's preventable. But when he's at his best, when he's providing those big shots down the ground, when he's providing those lovely flicks off the pad, he's just a very aesthetically pleasing player and a very powerful, punchy cricketer as well to watch. So what did you make of that innings? A maiden first-class century from Harry Kane, Mats. It was quite brilliant to see, wasn't it? It was, yeah. He's another one, is he, who just sort of come from, sort of stepped away from the noise of the big county and just come to the Division 2 where there's more, less less of that sort of constant pressure and he's clearly, you know, he's, he's found his, his niche, hasn't he? He's found his groove and, and, he's, done very, and he's done very well and it's, it's showing. Um it's a pity almost that he would run out, isn't it? Because you're thinking that they're always avoidable dismissals. They're always, oh, you've got to be so frustrated because, yes, you know, you've got a ton and you can be delighted about that. But you're thinking, oh, what, what could he have made? He could have gone on and got something massive when you're that settled and then you've got to run out having faced nearly 200 balls. It's got to be frustrated. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, um, like, like you said, really confident and composed and just exactly what uh, what Derbyshire needed to be able to build an innings around. Um, can I, as well, recount your pun, which was actually quite good. Um, I've given, I'm giving it the whole head in the hands. It is very good. I will applaud it, yeah. Um, I, I would like to point out as well that uh, on the Nottinghamshire Twitter feed uh, last season, he didn't get very many, actually. So uh, sorry about this, Harry, but I did a uh, Harry came and Harry went. So that was uh, not... Not quite as good as yours, but uh, we've, we've, all, we've all got puns in the bank, my friend. We've all got them. Let's be honest, it's what makes county cricket go around, isn't it? it Awful is. puns and great puns. We hear it all the time on commentary as well, but honestly, I'm delighted for Harry Kane. I really am. He's worked so hard on his first-class cricket, and to watch some, some vindication for all of the hard work, to see it paying off, it's just great to see. I love that as a fan of cricket. So, well done, Harry Kane. We're absolutely buzzing for you, mate. And... To be honest, someone else who batted very, very nicely in Derby this week from a Gloucestershire perspective now was Ben Charlesworth. 
career best first class score of 87 in Gloucestershire's first and only innings. This was complemented quite nicely by a 50 from Miles Hammond, a 41 from James Bracey, a 53 from Zafa Gohar, and another career best for Matt Taylor, 57 not outs, as Gloucestershire ultimately piled up 383 runs from their 101.3 overs. Now, unfortunately, by this point, there just wasn't enough gameplay left. The rain had really left its mark in Derby this week, and although Gloucestershire did try and hammer down the door, taking five wickets with AJ Dale and Tom Price taking two wickets apiece, there just simply wasn't enough overs on day four to try and force a result in this game. But for both sides, Matt, a draw definitely a fair result in what was a hugely affected game by the weather. And as for Gloucestershire, it has been a tremendously, tremendously frustrating start to the summer. They've lost, what is it, eight or nine days worth of cricket now, which is so infuriating because this team is good. They really are showing some flashes of brilliance, in particular with the ball in hand. But I suppose the positive which they can take away from this, Gloucestershire are now unbeaten in eight county championship matches. If we are looking at the wider picture, it's the first thing to be, isn't it, Matt? We spoke about this with, with Derbyshire, funnily enough, last season. Become hard to beat and then win matches. And for the glorious Gloucesters, they're certainly doing that, aren't they? They are, yeah. And it's obviously important in the sense of they've been relegated and you've got to rebuild and you've got to bounce back. But they're doing that. I think I think they're doing that ahead of schedule. I, I wasn't that convinced. Um, I think that the gap between Division 1 and Division 2 is not as broad as people might like to think that it is. And I thought that Gloucestershire would... I think they. I did think they struggled to bounce straight back, um, but yeah, you know they they have been frustrated by the weather and they have been, you know, the, a couple of those could have, a couple of those draws that were weather affected. I mean, you know, we saw the one with Yorkshire where they didn't even get on to play at all. Although, to be fair, even if they had, I think we can probably say they would have been unlikely to lose that one either. Um, but I digress, and that is yeah, um, like like you said, you summed it up there. Become hard to beat. And they've shown that they've still got that grit in them. They're not a side that left Division One with an absolute sort of whimper and will carry on sort of falling away. They've gone, no, we've been relegated. That's fine. That's the hand we've got. Let's show a bit of fight and let's bounce back. And they've got some good young players, you know, the Price brothers, AJ Dale. It's um, yeah, it's a good platform for them. And I think that they could really, uh, yeah, they've, they've got to make it count now, definitely. But. I think they've got the ability to do that. They have indeed, Matt. And again, they just need the weather to to brighten up, don't they? They do. It's such a shame, yeah. It is a shame. Same for Derbyshire as well, because again, some promising signs for Derbyshire. They are going to be without Henry Brooks for the rest of the summer now, because he will go back to Warwickshire for the T20 Blast. But again, he's had quite the impressive loan stint. So for both of these teams, it was the only result which was really possible in Derby this week. But again, some massive positives to take away. And again, just from a Derbyshire perspective, just so happy for Harry Kane. I, I really am. And for Lewis Reese as well, taking a threefer. So much, much better signs for the East Midlands County. For Gloucestershire, fingers crossed the weather improves. But yeah, I think that was a fair result. And again, considering how much an impact the weather had, again, we saw some great cricket. And that is what we want to see as fans of the county championship. But as a result of those four Division 2 games in the sixth round, let's take a quick look at the Division 2 table. And at the top of the table are Durham County Cricket Club on 82 points. In second are Sussex on 64 points. In third are Leicestershire on 60 points. In fourth are Glamorgan on 59 points. 
in fifth and sixth, respectively, are Worcestershire and Gloucestershire on 47 points and 38 points. In seventh, a Derbyshire on 37 points. And in eighth and bottom place of the Division 2 table are Yorkshire County Cricket Club on 33 points. So the promotion race is heating up and we cannot wait to see what the rest of this season has in store. Honestly, Durham are producing the goods. Sussex look dangerous. Leicestershire look dangerous. Glamorgan are beginning to have a real resurgence in Red Bull cricket. So bring it on. And Yorkshire are just dangerous to the health of their supporters at the moment. Well, we'll have to see, won't we, Matt? The T20 Blast, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Cricket's a funny game. You can have an absolute shocker of a start to the season and then build some momentum. So only time will tell. And talking fully enough of of people having a shocker, um, in a different league now, we look at the Cricket Draft League. I'm 81st in R1. 81st. I set up this league and I'm barely even in the top 100. But currently at the top of the TCCP leaderboard is financially benefiting from the Vitality Dog by Xavier Vote Hill on 9,899 points. In second are Tail Stain by Michael Tail on 9,823 points. And in third place are George Stokes' Bananas in Pajaras, great name, on 9,748 points. So again, guys, if you want to go and join that, link is in the description below. Completely free to join. If you want to beat us, you probably will. You can find that by looking at the link below. But that is it from myself and Matt for tonight's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.